This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Sheshla. Okay, a very warm welcome to you. It's Thursday afternoon. And it's not just any ordinary Thursday afternoon. Today is Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the new month of Tammuz. And any time that there's a Rosh Chodesh, any time it's the beginning of a new month, that also means there's new opportunities and new energy and new vitality. And we can go ahead and, and do great things. So welcome to the show. As always, I'd love to have your participation. Get these numbers if you don't already have them in your phone. The WhatsApp number is 0618951019. The SMS number is 34519. You can always call the studio on 0101403020. And you can tweet at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. And it's a really interesting where in the world you might be listening from. You know, here we are in South Africa, and obviously we just assume that the listenership of High FM is all right here in Joburg, where some people might say the Cholent Belt. But the truth of the matter is we know that there are you're listening in from all over the place. Sometimes it's interesting just to know where it is that you're listening from. So if you are, if you're listening via streaming, maybe just drop us a quick tweet or an, even an email on air at chaifm.com. Just let us know where in the world are you listening from. It's the kind of thing that really intrigues and interests me. Now, I'll declare my interests as a Chabadnik. And today being Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, that means that this Shabbos is going to be the third of Tammuz, Gimel Tammuz, which is a very powerful day in Jewish history, by the way. If you go back to original biblical history, the third of Tammuz is the day that Joshua stopped the sun and the moon. Shemesh Begivoin Doim, quite a famous story biblically. In the Chabad calendar, it's a very significant date already for some time since the 20s when the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe was released out of prison into exile. And everybody thought that that was actually a bad thing, but in the truth of the matter, it was the, it was the beginning of a full release from Soviet prison. So that was on the third of Tammuz. But the thing that really speaks to us, and to be perfectly honest, what's on my mind and very much on the mind of any person in the world who is either a card-carrying Chabadnik or affiliated, is that Gimel Tammuz, the third of Tammuz, this Shabbos will mark 25 years since the Rebbe's passing. I mean, I remember that. Like it really was uh, was yesterday at the time I was studying in Yeshiva in Israel, and it was just this bewildering experience, this bewildering time. I mean, if there's one thing that the Rebbe spoke about more than anything else, it was about how close we are to the revelation of Mashiach. So for us, like, there was no such thing as not... Just going directly back then in the 90s straight into the time of Mashiach's arrival. So sometimes we don't necessarily know how the calculations all work, but we still believe absolutely that it's an unfolding. In fact, we can dedicate a show to just that, how you look around at the world. And wow, is it ever a different world to what it was just a short 25 years ago. And a lot of that in a very, very positive direction. But I just think it's appropriate that seeing as this is the show that we've got together before this big Shabbos and before this very significant event, this significant occasion, I think it would be appropriate for us to talk a little bit about the Rebbe. Some people know about the Rebbe. Some of you may have had a personal interaction with the Rebbe, in which case, incidentally, I would, uh, I'd really love to hear that. If somebody's got a personal story that you can share, that would be really, really special. In fact, just recently, a fellow came to our shul 
fellow who, not a member of our community, came to our shul, and it was just a regular mincha, weekday mincha, and we were sitting over there, and the next thing he blurts out, just like that, unexpected, he says, by the way, do you know that I have two interactions with the Rebbe? And I was like, wow, that's interesting, he has somebody I don't know, and probably most of the community doesn't know, and he went on to tell us a story how he was deathly ill Years ago, 30 plus years ago, he was deathly ill and his mother had somehow gotten in touch, obviously through our local rabbis, had gotten in touch with the Rebbe's office in New York and had received a brocha on his behalf. And at the time, the doctors had given him almost zero chance of recovering. It was a very acute medical emergency. And the Rebbe went on to say that everything would be fine and gave him a brocha. And, and here he is today, 30-some years later, just boom, out of the blue, telling us sh- such a story. So if you have a story or an interaction or personal recollection to share about the Rebbe, I think it would be quite appropriate. I think it's a beautiful thing to do as we approach Gimel Tamos, and it doesn't have to be a miracle story, by the way. People love miracle stories, and I've got news for you, the Chabad world is never really into the miracle stories. It's kind of a sidebar for us. For us, the most important thing is the the piety, the example, the teachings more than anything else. In fact, when the Rebbe Rashab, who was the fifth Rebbe, was uh, just about to you know, pass away, he said to his son, he said, I am going on high, but I'm leaving my teachings for you. So we, we know even the Talmud says that when you study the teachings of a pious individual, that gets them to, so to speak, learn with you. It kind of brings them to life. It's a very strong theme that we have in Judaism is that a tzaddik, a person who's of that caliber of soul, when they were in this world, were not really invested in this world. And so when their soul leaves this world, it doesn't really fundamentally change who they are or what they represent or how they can affect us. And the best way that we connect with that kind of a person and retain that kind of connection is through learning about them. So I thought it would be a nice thing just to throw around and share some ideas about the Rebbe. I'll tell you a story, in fact, by way of introduction. I came across this story recently and actually shared it with my community a couple of days ago. So the story is that there was a fellow, the, the person who tells the story doesn't know his first name, but uh, his last name was apparently Weinberg. And this fellow belonged to the group of Hasidim called Gera Hasidim. It's a very large and prominent Hasidic group, mostly in Israel. And this fellow, we're talking now in the 1940s, went to try and launch a business and he did a lot of international travel, but he found a lot of opportunity in New Zealand. So he traveled extensively to New Zealand, bearing in mind, of course, what kind of a schlep that would have been in the 1940s. And then he had a sister who lived in Brooklyn, and at one point he decided to go to visit his sister. And he arrives in her apartment building, and he walks in over there, and he's quite surprised to see a sight that was not common in Brooklyn in those days. And there's a fellow with a beard and a black hat, clearly religious Jew. You didn't see that frequently in New York in those days. And they both step into the elevator together. And as they ride up to the floor that they're going to, they get talking. And this young man asks the fellow, the businessman, where do you go? He says, New Zealand. He says, you go to New Zealand. Is there a mikvah in New Zealand? Now, at that time, New Zealand was probably like going to the moon. And the handful of Jews who lived there at the time, probably nobody thought about the fact that there should be a mikvah in New Zealand. Anyhow, they reached the floor they were supposed to get to, and they both step out. And the sister of this businessman is waiting there to meet her brother. And afterwards, comments, you know who that was? That was 
the son-in-law of the then Lubavitcher Rebbe. In other words, the person who would eventually become the Rebbe. And that's it. That's the story. Forty years later, he's now a successful businessman and he's in New York again. This is now when the Rebbe is a renowned personality. And the sister says, why don't you go past the Rebbe? And, you know, he, on a Sunday he gives out dollar bills for people to give to charity and it's an opportunity to get a blessing. He says, fine. So he goes, stands in line for a number of hours, eventually comes before the Rebbe. The Rebbe gives him a dollar like he would for everybody else. And he says, blessing and success. The fellow starts to walk off. And the next thing he feels a hand on his shoulder that pulls him back. And the hand on his shoulder is one of the secretaries who says, the Rebbe would like to tell you something else. And he goes back and he, the Rebbe says to him, so tell me, is there now a mikveh in New Zealand? I'll tell you the rest of the story in a moment. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So I'm telling you this story. There was this fellow and he travels and he's, he's all over the place and primarily in New Zealand. He comes to New York in the 1940s, bumps into a person who he later discovers was going to become the Rebbe. Forty years later, they haven't seen each other except for that one very brief encounter in the lift. Forty years later, he stands in front of the Rebbe and the Rebbe says to him, so now is there a mikveh in New Zealand? And the person is absolutely gobsmacked. I mean, who could remember him 40 years later? And how, how does a person recognize him? He doesn't look anything like he looked at that time. He's obviously gone white and uh, he's aged in all kinds of ways. So he's really... Very, very moved by this encounter, goes back to Israel, and he decides that he's going to go to his Rebbe. He was a Gera Chassid. He was going to go to Rebbe Pinchas Menachem Alter of Ger, who was the Gera Rebbe at the time, and he, he's going to give him regards. You know that he he went to the Babacher Rebbe. He knew that the two great sages were linked and friendly. So he decides he's going to go and he's going to share the story and, and and how amazed he is that the Rebbe remembered him forty years later, and not only that, but remembered the details of their conversation. So he goes to his Rebbe, the Gera Rebbe, and he tells him the story. Here it is in the 1940s. I had this chance encounter with the Rebbe. Literally for a few moments, he asked him about New Zealand. Forty years. Later, I'm standing in front of me. He remembers, pulls me back, and says, "Is there now a mikveh in New Zealand?" And uh, he says to the Gera Rebbe, "says Isn't that incredible that the Rebbe should should remember a Jew from 40 years later?" And the Gera Rebbe says to him, "That's not the part of the story that's incredible. The part of the story is that's amazing. Is the fact that 40 years the Rebbe worried." About the Jewish community in New Zealand. Incidentally, by the way, obviously, he sent representatives and the Izzah Chabad both in Auckland and in at least one other location in New Zealand. But isn't that, I think that that's one of those stories that captures very much what a Rebbe is and what our Rebbe means. That, you know, somebody who doesn't just care about Numbers, members, accolades, front pages, but actually cares about people, cares about those people that perhaps everybody else has overlooked. And something that's sometimes a little bit lost in our community. I mean, right now, right now in our community, there's a lot of conversation around people within the community who are either overlooked or discriminated against or criticized for their particular outlooks or their particular orientation and so on. And, and that's clearly something that is antithetical to Judaism, and that is clearly something that the Rebbe would never have supported. You don't uh, sideline a person just because of a particular attitude or a particular behavior or a particular inclination that doesn't fit with your specific 
outlook. And that might be one of our great, great challenges in today's world in the Jewish communities, that there's, there's so much finger pointing, there's so much putting people into boxes and, and labeling people in a particular way. And it's that important to see the positive in people. You know, I've often, uh, often thought about this, why it is, because people will often tell you that the Rebbe pioneered this massive Jewish outreach movement around the world. I mean, the three and a half thousand Chabad centers in over 100 countries, that pretty much means that you can go just about anywhere on holiday and there'll be a Chabadnik waiting on the other side to help you with a Shabbos meal. I mean, that's pretty much what it means. And I know this personally because just this past Shabbos, we had guests from the, from Canada, actually, and it was the most natural thing in the world for them that you... Go online, you check where the nearest Chabad is to your destination, and boom, there you go. Shabbos meal, sorted. And, and that's exactly what happened. And it, it's, it's the same all over the place when you have a thousand plus Israelis sitting down to a Pesach Seder in the middle of Nepal, you know. So there's this massive movement, and people often talk about it, and they marvel about it. And a couple of years ago, some of the big reform leadership in the United States was talking about how we need to be more like Chabad. And it's, it's like really fascinating. It's, it's something that really fascinates me is both people trying to work it out. <laughs> you know, how did they do this and how is this such success? And much more fascinating is what the Rebbe actually instilled within his followers, within us, within Chabadniks. And, uh, you know, how you go about not just the fact that he instilled in people the courage to step off into a new place and just start a community from the ground roots, you know, from grassroots up. Uh, just two years ago, it's not even two years, less than two years ago, I remember I was in New York at the big Chabad rabbinical conference that happens once a year in November and just happened to be in the room at the time that a guy, a young guy recently married, walked into the room. This is like a fascinating thing to see. He walked into the room. I happened to be talking to one of the people who represents the organizational side of setting up new centers around the world. Guy walks into the room and says, Shalom Aleichem, here I am. I just want to tell you, recently married, and I would like to go set up a Chabad in Iceland. <laughs> in Iceland. Okay, so I, I, listen, I, personally, I would love to go to Iceland. I think it's a fantastic place to visit. I've heard that it's really beautiful. Not in a million years, but I want to live there. And here this guy comes and says, I've done the research. This is how many Jews we know of who live there, and that's where I want to live. And off they go. So people marvel at that. You know, how do you do that? It's a, It's a... Lifelong position. That's it. You're gone. You're not coming back. You're off to Iceland. That's where you're going to educate your children. They're going to have to do an online school. You'll have to manage kosher food, bring it from who knows where, milk your own cows. I don't know what you're going to have to do to be able to live in Iceland. And you'll probably always have just this tiny community. I remember years ago hearing from Rabbi Greenberg, who's a Chabad representative in Shanghai. And he told the story of when they first moved there. Now, the natural thing to do, obviously, when you arrive in a place is try to find out where the Jews are. So this Rabbi Greenberg went to the then Israeli consul or ambassador. I don't know exactly what level of position it was living in Shanghai. And he says to him, okay, listen, we're starting up a Chabad community. Can you please give us a list of all the Jews in Shanghai? He says, sure, that's easy. And he says, uh, it's easy because it's it's me and this guy and that guy. He rattled off like half a dozen names, said these are all of the Jews in Shanghai. Okay. About a month later, Rabbi Greenberg comes back to the ambassador with a list of well over a hundred names and he says, here you go. This is who we have discovered in the last month. So it's like this ability to sniff out, you know, to find Jewish people in all kinds of crazy places. My son, this, this year and last year ran a Pesach Seder in some remote town in Australia. 
And it's fascinating who they found over there, people who had not identified as being Jewish, people who didn't necessarily know that they were Jewish. In fact, there's a woman this year who only after Pesach was able to trace her Jewish lineage. She never knew that she was Jewish, never and just felt attracted to Judaism. So people marvel at this. You know, how do you go about doing it and, and how do you motivate people in such a way? But I think what's much more interesting is to marvel at the fact that the Rebbe refused to assign a particular term, a particular title to this kind of outreach. And that's the most common t- term that is used. The term is Kiruv Rechoikim, bringing close those who are far. And the Rebbe was adamantly opposed to that because he said, nobody's far. Well, nobody's far. Reminds me of a story. There were these young rabbis, must have been in the 1940s, who were, uh, they were dispatched by the then rabbi, the previous rabbi, to go and visit these tiny communities and the, the Jewish people who lived in those communities. And when they came back, they said that people had asked them, what is it that you do? And they tried to explain to them. They said, we're like scribes and we travel around and wherever we see a Torah scroll that's a little bit, you know, the, the letters are a bit cracked or faded, we go and we, we fix them up. We touch them up. So the previous rabbi said to him, said to these rabbis, says, no, no, that's, that's not a good, that's not a good metaphor because ink and parchment are fundamentally two separate entities. You're more like people who go around like stonemasons and when you see that there's a stone that's been engraved but it's collected dust over time, you go and you clean out the dust to reveal the etching that was always there. So the rabbi didn't like this concept of kirov rechoikim, of bringing people who are far close because there is no such thing as a person who is far, so all you need to do maybe is uh, dust away a little bit of the residue that's on the outside, and from that, you'll find a healthy Jew living inside. It's halfway, it's 2.30, if you've just joined in, and fresh thinking, you are with Rabbi Ari Shishla today, we're talking, well, I'm doing most of the talking by the looks of it, but that's also because our WhatsApp is giving us, oh, there it is, it's back, <laughs> the WhatsApp is back, you can use it again. So the point is, we're talking today about the Rebbe, this Shabbos is going to be the 25th year from the Rebbe's passing, and I just think it's an appropriate thing, somebody who had such an incredible impact on all of us, and even outside of the Jewish world, that it's a time to talk, and to share, and to be inspired, and to learn, and to prepare the world for the kind of vision that the Rebbe taught us to have for it. So if you've got something to share, a personal anecdote, a personal interaction. We, I really would love to hear it. It's 061-895-1019 on the WhatsApp number, although it is giving a little bit of hassle. Otherwise, SMS 34519. Call the studio 0101403020 or tweet at Chai FM. You could tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. Pick up a hyper Norwood. Have the, these pocket-saving sweet deals just for you. Pick and pay kosher tender chick frozen whole chickens are only 49 rand 99 per kilo. Pick and pay kosher fresh chickens at a very low 79 rand 99 per kilo. Pick and pay kosher okral vors is just 79 rand 99 a kilo. And their frozen fish hake is 69.99 per kilo. Catch these and many more specials in store. These specials are exclusive to Pick and Pay Norwood Hyper and only while stocks last. Pick and Pay Hyper Norwood is the best place to shop when you want to buy a lot. Now, this is interesting. The Jewish Community Survey of South Africa is live. So you go to www.jcssa2019.coza to sign up. This is a once-in-a-decade opportunity to participate in the Kaplan's, Cent- in the Kaplan's Center's National Online Survey. The survey is open to all Jewish adults 18 years and older living in South Africa. 
Your views are important and your participation is essential for helping to plan the long-term needs of our community. Make time, participate, have your say. JCSSA2019.co.za so, talking today about the Rebbe Craig, looks like we're having issues, right? We're having issues with the WhatsApp, so you might have to just stick with uh, SMSs for now. Or, no, it looks like the whole system is uh, giving us hassles, maybe not even SMSs. You might have to go with tweets, because those I can pick up independently of the system. Tweets at Chai FM or directly at Rabbi Shish. Or you could be brave and pick up a phone to 0101403020, talking today about the Rebbe. And I'll tell you something that's really been playing on my mind a lot uh, in fact, the last couple of days, and that is that you t- you know I, I've been talking about this concept of Jewish outreach and, and how the Rebbe didn't like the term Kiruv Rechokim because we don't want to imply that any Jew is distant from their Judaism. There's no such thing. It's there, it's there, just just beneath the surface, and you've got to help the person sometimes just clear away a little bit of the cobwebs and find out what's inside. So I find it really apt that the Shabbos. That will commemorate Gimel Tammuz, 25 years from the Rebbe's passing, this particular Shabbos is going to be the Torah reading of Korach. Now, you probably know the story, but let's rehash it really quickly what the story of Korach is, because I think it's so appropriate to be reading this story on this significant day. And what's, what's the story of Korach? Okay, who's the guy? Who's the guy, Korach? What did he do? So Korach was a very prominent citizen. He came from an illustrious family. He had an absolute fortune of money to the point that the Talmud said he was the wealthiest person who ever lived. He was a deeply spiritual man. And that sometimes gets lost in the story. You know, when you hear about him and what he does, you get the impression that he, you know, wasn't necessarily a spiritual man. But he caused a tremendous amount of trouble, tremendous amount of trouble to the point that he could even become the icon, the paragon of what it is to undermine the whole system of Judaism. So Korach's beef was that he felt that he came from a very important family and he felt that he had the, uh, he should have had access to stature and he felt sidelined. Moses and Aaron and some of their immediate family members got the big jobs and he was kind of left out. And he gathers together 250 followers and they all buy into his business and they go on drumming out this message that Moses is nepotistic and he doesn't care for the people and he's just putting people into positions because that serves his own purposes and he really causes a lot of trouble and slowly, slowly the following grows and the story does not end well, doesn't end well because Moshe, then Moses has to stand up and defend not only his position but the entire system of how Judaism works and the unfortunate thing is that Korach and all of his immediate followers are destroyed in the process. So it's not a great story. It's not a nice story. It's a story of rebellion. It's a story of undermining authority. And what's really relevant is it's the story of attacking the spiritual leader who God had put in place for that generation. You know, the Zohar, the fundamental book of Jewish mysticism, teaches that there's a Moshe, there's a Moses in every generation. That's what we call a Rebbe. Somebody, there are many pious and righteous and sagely individuals in every generation, but there's one Moses. 
And so this story of Korach and his rebellion kind of resonates a lot with those Moses personalities through the course of history who've often had very serious detractors and opposition. And then after their, their passing, suddenly everybody recognizes and is willing to acknowledge their greatness. So what's interesting about the story for me is that just, just before this particular Torah portion. Last week we read about the debacle of the spies. It's like a very rough patch of Torah portions right now. It's all about rabble rousers and people who caused a tremendous amount of trouble. So last week we read the story of the spies. These are people who also not, they didn't really challenge the authority of Moses. They challenged God. God promised them a particular land and they're the people who turned around and said no. So commenting on that, the Zohar has a very, again, the Zohar is this deep Kabbalistic work, has a very, very interesting observation. And it says there were three major biblical characters and each of them interacted with a group of people who were rebellious, a group of people who had undermined God. And each of them behaved in a different way. So the first of the three characters is Noah. The people at the time of Noah rebelled. They did all kinds of things that were horrible. And eventually God says, that's it. I'm going to destroy those people. And there's going to be a flood. And everybody's going to die. Noah, you get your family together. Build a, an escape capsule. And you'll be the only people to survive. And Noah says, fine, perfect. Tell me what to build. Tell me how to do it. Tell me what's got to be brought along. And I'll just do it. And God says, you take all the animals and the humans are going to die. And Noah does not protest. And the Zohar is quite critical of Noah and says, you know, really a true leader should be somebody who cares about other people to the point that he would negotiate on their behalf, petition on their behalf, do something, cry out, pray, beseech, arm wrestle, something. And he doesn't. In the Hasidic parlance, Noah is called a tzaddik in a fur coat. As long as he's warm, life is good. Now, contrast that, says the Zohar, with Abraham. Abraham, God comes to him and says, listen, there's a group of people, they live in this metropolis called Sodom and Gomorrah. They've been horrible. They're absolutely amoral people. I'm going to destroy them. And Abraham says, what? You're going to destroy people? How can that even be? No, no, hang on a second. Let's talk about this. Maybe out of all of the five cities that make up that metropolis, maybe you can find 50 Righteous individuals, and, and they'll save the rest. And God says, no. He says, okay, well, maybe 40, 30, 20. And eventually, when he's unable to dredge up any righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham is defeated. He has no option, has to accept God's decree, and Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed. So that's tremendous progress from Noah because he tried. He argued on their behalf. He, he hoped to even save the bad guys. And then Moses. So Moses... <clears throat> he doesn't just say, well, maybe there's some righteous people in the crowd. He's got a group of people who make a golden calf. He doesn't say, okay, let's keep the good ones. He's got a group of people who follow the spies and say, we're not going to Israel. He doesn't say, let's keep the good ones. Moses says, you can't destroy these people even if they're bad. And he succeeds, and God spares the people. So Moses is given tremendous accolades by the Zohar for sparing even the rogues of society. Think about that for a moment. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So the Zohar, we're talking today about the Rebbe. This Shabbos is Gimel Tamos, 25 years from the Rebbe's passing. A very uh, introspective day and an inspiring day and a very uplifting day. Bear in mind, you know, some, sometimes people think that for a Chabadnik, 
a, a day such as this would be a depressing day. It's not. It's an empowering day. It's it's an understanding of there's a there's a power. There's an education. There's an investment, and we have the privilege to carry all of those things. But much more importantly, there's a vision and there's a dream. And if there's one thing that the Rebbe spoke about with absolute certainty, it's the fact that we're living in the unfolding of a messianic age. And for us, if we're 25 years from Gimel Tamuz, from the Rebbe's passing, that means that we are a whole lot closer to this great Mashiach experience, which we believe literally will happen any day. But that's subject probably for another show on its own. We're talking today about the Rebbe himself. Unfortunately, the system is down. So your messages, if you did send them, have been lost. Nothing came through so far today. Don't know what's going on. Must be a little bit of a jinx. You can always phone 0101-403020 or you could tweet at Haifa and tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. That we can still pick up. And I was talking about the Zohar and how it compares these three major biblical characters. Noah, who it criticizes for the fact that he was very happy to save his family, but didn't even consider petitioning God on behalf of the rest of everybody. Abraham, who when he heard that a wicked city was going to be destroyed said whoa there should be a way to find some good people but when he couldn't find good people that's when he was done remember of course that abraham did not yet have access to the torah the torah had i mean he had knowledge of the torah but didn't have the access in the same way as we did after the giving of the torah at sinai which is why moses is in a completely different position moses is able not only to say, let's pick out the good guys and maybe they'll carry everybody else. Moses is able to say to God, even the bad guys deserve to be saved. That was last week's Torah portion. Then you come to this week's Torah portion, which is about Korach, this fellow who rebelled against Moses. And even there, Moses, who's this incredible person who just last week was able to stop everybody from being killed by negotiating with Hashem on their behalf. When Korach stands up with his rebellion, which Moses understands is something that undermines the entire stability of the Jewish world. It's not a personal thing. Korach threatened the entire stability and structure of the Jewish community. He was the much greater threat, in a sense, even than the spies. And so Moses says, there's nothing I can do with this man. So Hashem, you've got to help me out over here. And, 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 and God says, we're going to destroy them. That's it. And Moses can't defend Korach. So what's interesting about it is, when you look at this fellow Korach, <laughs> right at the beginning of the Torah portion, there's a commentary by Rashi. Rashi is the foremost commentator on the Torah. Where Rashi says, this portion of the Torah, Yafonidreshes. There is a Midrash that explains it very beautifully. Now the word Nidreshes, which means to explain, could also mean to seek, to explore, to research, to investigate. So you could say that this is very beautifully investigated. This portion is very beautifully investigated in this Midrash. Very I'm going to say very often, but a number of times when Korah came up as the portion of the week, the Rebbe spoke about it. And the Rebbe spoke about this Rashi and said, there's another way to look at this. Not only is this portion beautifully investigated in the Midrash, but this portion calls on us to investigate the beauty in the story. In other words, here you've got a guy. You've got this Korah. He's really the worst of the worst. He's rebel with a capital R. He is the kind of person who in our community, we'd all be talking about him at our Friday night table and saying that guy my gosh let's put him on the front page of the of the jewish report and spill his guts or you know what a horrible person he is or so on and so forth persona non grata and the river says but hang on a second did you not notice that the torah portion is named after him korach there is no torah portion called moses but there's a torah portion called korach why 
Why? This is our holiest book. Why on earth would you have the name of such a rogue associated with a full portion of the Torah? His name is Elites. How could that be? And on each occasion, over a number of occasions, the Rebbe looked for a reason to vindicate Korach. What he did was wrong, absolutely. Nobody's going to deny that. What he did was wrong. The cobwebs on the outside are filthy. But that doesn't mean who he is was wrong. That's a terrible thing that we always do. We identify and define people by the things that they do rather than looking at who they are. So uh, in various places, the Rebbe says, Korach, you have to understand where he was coming from. He cared about every Jew because you see that in the words that he uses. He says, the whole nation is holy. Isn't that a wonderful man? He says, the whole nation is holy. Yes, he went off the rails in how he planned it and how he spoke and what he did with it. But his motivation was a good motivation. And then he says, hang on a second. Look, look at Korach. Korach is a person who actually wanted to be a high priest. He wanted to be the Kohen Gadol. Do, how many people do you know who have that ambition, who wish for that closeness to God? Do you see what kind of a person Korach was? He wanted closeness to God. And then he looks at it from a different perspective. And he says, Korach was a Levi, which is like the second tier after the Kohanim, after the, the priests. And it says that in the Messianic age, the Levi tribe will be elevated all to the status of Kohen. So look at that. Korach wanted Moshiach. That's actually what he was fighting for. He was fighting for the Messianic revelation. So his application was wrong and his, his expressions were wrong. But look at the kind of guy that we're dealing with. And so basically, he took an, the Rebbe took an attitude of saying, yes, of course, we could easily blame, malign, label Korach in a particular way. But you've got to realize that's not what the Torah wants us to do. Because if the Torah had wanted us to do that, we have an expression that is called, Shem Rishoim Yirkov. Let the names of the wicked rot. Or as we sometimes say, Yimach Shemoy. Let the person's name be erased. Korach's name is far from rotting or erased. Once a year, it pops up in the on the headline of a Torah portion. He's right there in the scriptures. That must tell you something, both about the man and about the attitude that we're supposed to have to him. Moshe had an issue on his hands. He had a rebellion that had to be dealt with clinically. Don't mistake yourself for one second and don't think that Moses had a personal issue with Korach the man. He had an issue with Korach's rebellion. You can and you should, and it's a really important thing, be able to distinguish between the, as they used to say in the old days, play the ball, not the man. You should be able to distinguish between what a person does and who that person is. That's why we don't find, in, in, in Torah, we don't define people by their behavior. We don't label them, oh, this is a so-and-so. We say, that person did X. We don't say they are X. We don't say Korach is a rebel. We say Korach rebelled. Subtle but powerful difference. And so the Rebbe says, let's have a look at Korach. And you can see Korach himself, and the Rebbe says it in this many words, Korach himself is 100% Jewish. He's 100% got a soul that beats within him and vibrates and resonates with God. 100%. He's just lost his way. My job is not to criticize the person. My job is not even to say, Korach, you need to repent as if you're currently not good and you later will be good. But actually, Korach, you're good. You just need to realize it. You just need to realize it about yourself. And that is a crystallization of the Rebbe's perspective that he tried to instill in us, all of us, and I don't just mean us card-carrying Chabadniks and all of us, they should be able to look at the next person and say, you are good, you just have to realize it. 
This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Sheshla. There's a beautiful video that's doing the rounds at the moment, which was produced especially in honor of the upcoming Gimel Tamos commemoration and celebration of the Rebbe. And they interview four people on this particular video, one of them being Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, the previous chief rabbi of the UK. And the one person who they interview over there says something which is so profound. He says he was a little boy. He was 10 years old. He had been kicked out of a string of schools because he just, he wasn't interested. He misbehaved. He caused a lot of trouble. And I guess in desperation, his mother <laughs> took him to see the Rebbe. I don't know when this was. I'm guessing this must have been the 60s. It might have even been the 50s. And they go in for this personal meeting with the Rebbe. And the Rebbe says to him, are you good at school? And he says, no. And the Rebbe says to him, do you enjoy school? And he says, no. And the Rebbe says to him, do you listen to your mother? And he says, no. He was a naughty kid. That's, that's it. by his own admission. He was a naughty kid. It was the nightmare of all his teachers. So he gave all the, you know, all the answers that spoke to what he, how he saw himself. So he says, no, not a good boy. Don't enjoy school. Don't listen to my mom. So the Rebbe smiled and looked at his mother and said, wow, look at that. He tells the truth. Isn't that amazing? And this guy says, this guy now, an older man, he says that was the turning point for him. Here was somebody who didn't see him as naughty and disobedient and troublemaker. He he saw, but but you're honest. You're an honest person. And, and that, was the tr- that was it for him. From there on, he never had another issue in school. <laughs> Can you imagine this 10 years old? Never had another issue in school. And I think that that's exactly what this is all about. If we are to talk about what the Rebbe's message, just simply about how to look at the next person is all about, because there are many messages that we could talk about, how to look at the world, how to look at the unfolding of political issues, how to look at the land of Israel, how to look at the future, how to look at health, how to look at relationships. But if you had to just talk about how the Rebbe taught us how to look at the next person, that's it in a nutshell. You've got to find... Not because you're trying to pretend, not because you're trying to play a game, let's psych the person and use something that's going to make them feel good about themselves, but because you genuinely look at a person and just see this person is a piece of God. And if they would know it, their life would be better. My life certainly would be better. I uh, I saw also somebody pointed out, and it's something I've thought about a lot, had all these people who had come past the Rebbe for these, uh, when he would give out dollar bills on a Sunday. And it took hours. It took hours. You had literally seconds. I'd been there a number of times, not nearly as many times as many other people, but I was, pro- I was fortunate enough to be there a couple of times. And the Rebbe, for that literally two or three seconds that it took for him to give you a dollar, made absolute eye contact with you as if nothing else existed to say, you're absolutely valuable. That's how God looks at us. That's how a Rebbe looks at us. That's how we should look at ourselves. That's how we should look at the next person. If we could just take just that with us, then we could get one step closer to unveiling that just like the human is good and needs to be revealed, the world is good and needs to be revealed. And as we unveil that, we'll cause Mashiach to come and it will happen sooner than we think. I wish you a meaningful Shabbos. For those of you who will participate, there is a very powerful program on Sunday morning for Gimel Thomas for the Rebbe at the Capitol Hotel on Catherine Street in Santon. It's run by Chabad House. Starts at um, 8 o'clock this davening and the program starts at 9. I encourage you to participate. If you'd like to know more about it, get in touch with Chabad House.
Have a wonderful Shabbos.